start today with the Business Post and they're leading with business to government insurance crisis is now our main election issue. So the escalating insurance crisis is now the main election issue for business owners across the country. And of course, this started kind of started with the childcare sector this week. There now seems to be a form of contagion going on where now the restaurateurs and cafe owners are out saying that they're in, some of their insurers have pulled out of the market and they're uh, in trouble too. Interestingly, down the story a bit, Minister um, Michael Darcy, he's the junior finance minister and he's responsible for this area. He is saying, I'm in the job two and a half years and we've never had a representation from the childcare sector. So all of this clearly taking him uh, and the government by surprise, it would seem. Um, The Business Post also have a fascinating story. The Business Post have been following this um, matter of uh, air pollution and particulate matter in particular, which I think comes from uh, the burning of fossil fuels and, and I think diesel cars and general pollution in our towns, right? So listen to this. Air pollution in Letterkenny in Donegal, in County Donegal, climbed higher than levels in many parts of New Delhi in India last week. Now, Letterkenny has a smoky coal ban in place, but it climbed to, okay, we won't get lost in the figures, but just, right, 580 micrograms per metre cubed at its peak, right? And just to put that in perspective, the World Health Organization recommends an average level of 50 micrograms over 24 hours. So it hit 580. They also have Waterford hit 370 at at one point. Tralee reached 270, Ennis 250. And this is linked to the burning of fossil fuels in homes. Um, They also have a story that is in uh, all the other papers as well, and we'll come to it, is that Varadkar says, I have experienced a degree of racism. Now, the Sunday Times have um, a story, Tesco charity cards packed by China's prison slaves. So it's kind of a dramatic story whereby uh, a a child, Florence, a six-year-old child, got in her Christmas card. You can buy these in Ireland for one euro for a box of 20 in Ireland. She got written on her Christmas card, we are foreign prisoners in Shanghai, Qingpu Prison, China. Forced to work against our will, please help us and notify human rights organisation. And they gave the name of this journalist here, Peter Humphreys, and who has spent two years in, in, in jail in China himself. And so basically, um, it now seems that the supplier of these cards may have been using um, prison labour in China to make these cards. Tesco says the factory has been suspended and that they uh, they do not allow the use of prison labour in the making of any of their products. Um, the the off lead here is FAI had us all fooled, says Michael Healy Ray. And this is, I suppose, what you would call vintage Michael Healy Ray. You remember that Michael Healy Ray was promising uh, John Delaney recently the mother of all welcomes when he attended a pitch opening in Kerry. Uh, Michael Healy Ray is now saying, look, we were all duped he says every one of us yourself included and every journalist in the country we were all told in 2018 by the FAI that the FAI was going to be debt free by 2020 we're all very smart now we've new information we didn't have at the time so we're all geniuses now all I can say is I'm very disappointed for for what happened they also have a story that uh, Claire Daly has appointed her former husband as a publicly paid assistant and uh, again Leah Radker saying I have to point out that I'm Irish um, the Irish Mail on Sunday leads with the uh, Leo Varadkar 
racist, Leo, I've had racist abuse, they're calling it, Taoiseach victim of hate speech and homophobia. He has spoken out about his experience of racist abuse, both on the street and online, but says he is thankful not to have been the victim of violence. So he does, he makes one particular point that he says that it can range from name calling and things like that as you walk down the street, stuff you see online. Or it can be the fact that people treat you differently, little things. So he makes the point that uh, he is going to India after Christmas. I think it's his father Ashok's 80th birthday and they they are all obviously travelling to India. And that uh, people have been asking him, when are you going back to India? And he says, you know, sometimes people don't hear what they're saying uh, and I've never been somebody who goes on about it, but he just thinks that these little things that bleed in and he points out when people say, when are you going back to India? He was born in the Rotunda. Um, The Sunday Independent backlash at first Lotto Christmas Day draw. So the decision by the National Lottery and RTE to defy tradition and hold the lotto draw on Christmas Day for the first time in its history has been met with criticism from gambling addiction organisations. So... Until 2013, when Ampost ran the prize draw, the decision was taken each year to postpone the draw on Christmas Day if the holiday fell on a Wednesday or a Saturday, and and instead they would hold the lottery draw on the next day. So it hasn't come up since then, I think. But now uh, the the lottery was under new ownership, and this is the first time under the new ownership that a lottery regular lotto draw day has been Christmas Day and the new owners who are the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan sees no reason not to hold the draw on Christmas Day and the Sunday Independent also has legal threat after Quinn makes new QIH visits so he's disregarded a request from the businesses he once owned to keep off the company property he's made a conspicuous visit to two of his old quarries The Sunday World uh, is a story about that Westmead teenager Geraldine Mohan she was the victim of that machete attack when she was protecting her nephew and she says he laughed like the devil the Irish Sunday Mirror Rural Ireland drug shock, farmers cocaine epidemic. Rural Ireland is on the verge of a cocaine epidemic. And we do hear a lot about that. You know, we've we heard recently that report about how the big drug gangs are now selling directly into these uh, small towns and villages all over Ireland. But they say here in the Mur, there's an alarming rise in the number of farmers treat, seeking treatment for addiction. Um, one 34-year-old farmer who got hooked revealed, things got so bad, I'd snort a few lines off the John Deere. The Irish Sun on Sunday has a story about the um, murder of Irene White and they also have a picture of the uh, that nurse Mary Ellen Malloy from Donegal who was killed in that accident in, um, in Melbourne in Australia. Very sad story there. And I just want to direct, I just want to mention one of the English papers. The Sunday Telegraph has a lovely picture on their front page, huge picture, and it's four generations of royals. There's the Queen and there's Charles and there's William and little George is mixing up a Christmas pudding. But I did think anyone, any 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 parent looking at this would go, yeah, you'd know these people have servants because you do not let a child mix up Christmas pudding or do any kind of baking or indeed eating in a pristine white shirt, which is what George is making. But look, I'm sure somebody will look after that short for for them later on anyway. Um, now, our panel today, raring to go, uh, Dr Emily O'Connor, who's a consultant and president of the Irish Association for Emergency Medicine. Ono Nocton, who is director of Heenan and a former government press sec- secretary. 
Anya Kerr is the co-founder and CEO of Kinzen. David Davenport is a political commentator and Ian Kyo is editor of The Currency. And guys, you're all very welcome and thank you for uh, coming into us uh, just a few days before Christmas, interrupting your festivities. But we'll, we'll, we'll have our own kind of uh, festivities here, festivities of substance. Uh, so, look, let, let's... Um, start with it's been a kind of I think everyone agrees a kind of a crabby kind of a week uh, politically D- David Davenport you were looking at the Sunday Times uh, stuff the seasonal goodwill by Stephen O'Brien and Justine McCarthy well I mean I think the most substantial uh, uh, item in the Sunday Times today is the poll that shows Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael effectively uh, level pegging and I think this really is going to set set the scene. This is the backdrop to 2020 because uh, obviously we're facing into an election, in my humble opinion, sooner rather than later. And I think... Uh, uh, January, February? February. February, February. Okay. I think at those odds, uh, it's going to be very difficult uh, for Leo Varadkar to return as Taoiseach. I mean, if you take one aspect of the parliamentary arithmetic alone... He's facing into the election with, what is it, nine, maybe ten now, uh, retirements or gaps in his uh, armoury, TDs that aren't standing again. We can think of two or three of them, and Kenny, I suppose, being the most prominent one. Uh, so, in a sense, Fine Gael, who are level pegging, as I say, with Fianna Fáil, would have to run to stand still in this in this contest. So I think that's the backdrop to all the coverage today. I mean, uh, obviously, a lot of the uh, commentary from uh, Leo Varadkar in, across all the papers and from Michal Martin is from these roundtable interviews that Owen will be so familiar with setting up in the week before Christmas where all the poll cars uh, go in, they ask the Taoiseach questions and then they divvy it up among themselves and it's all spread across all the papers. But I can tell you, um, when he's in India... Uh, the Taoiseach's thoughts will, will not be very far from the election that he knows that he'll be facing in the next couple of months. On you, Car? Yeah, I agree with the, the February forecast. January's too cold. Uh, February feels it, it gives him enough time. Potentially, I saw yesterday in the Irish Times, interestingly, there was a suggestion that Radker could even dissolve the doll before it comes back and resumes on January 15. And there is precedent for mm-hmm. that. We've seen that uh, with Bertie Hearn and Sean Lamas in the past. Uh, February feels right because with March, you're into the White House. April is Easter. May just feels too far in terms of a long distance run at this point. I I will be curious, though, in the fullness of time to see, did the Taoiseach miss an opportunity back in November to go to the country when Boris Johnson called an election? Because that, to me, at the time felt you could go to the country from a position of strength and momentum on the back of a relatively successful budget. There wasn't a lot of controversial headlines and to emerge from that. still flying high on Brexit, I guess, which has and, been and a, a huge that asset the main narrative, in way, Because we know when we see these polls, what seems to be consistent, that when Brexit is high in the, the headlines the public are very much green jersey on we're going to back the, the government on this so one wonders as Brexit you know starts to kind of play out of our headlines a little bit into the new year and we're into nine months of negotiations on the trade deals will Fine Gael suffer when our headlines continue to be about insurance in the new year homelessness hospital trolleys and I think we're possibly going to see a change in the polls it would be interesting to see as people's minds focus on potential election in February how is this going to play out for the dominant 
ruling parties. Yeah, I, I would, I would say on the other hand that they, it might have been seen as a bit irresponsible to go for an election in November, given that Brexit was still very much up in the air and everything, and you know there was all that well, uh, when, uncertainty when, when in the air. When he looks back at it and we sees what happened after November and when, when then all the the troubles that they've had in the doll which. TDs not being there and being mm. absent and all that kind of stuff. I'd say they were wishing for a Brexit return at that particular point. And if the get, doctors go on strike, the the, if the doctors go on strike in the new year, yeah. that's I not good. If the stock goes if, to get the stock back up where it is not mm. there now, so I'd say possibly in hindsight it might so, have been yeah, the right events, idea. events, too many events. Oh, not to go to the um, to the polls when because health is going to be peak mm. difficulties in February, mm. and <laughs> and really that's going to be peak trolley weights, uh, there could be a strike, there's going to be a peak unhappiness, a peak flu and to be uh, politicians going to doorsteps in the country, I think everybody's going to have a, a bad story about the health service and that, you know, Fine Gael have been in government now for, for many years and I think they're going to have a hard time if, if they go that early. And um, we'll come back to health more substantially in a while. Can I just ask you Emily, ha, ha, have we seen an early peak though, things like flu, there seems to be a lot of sick children around, there seems to be a lot of chaos already in, in hospitals has that come a bit earlier than you would have expected in your business? So from the uh, kids' point of view, um, what they get is RSV, respiratory syncytial virus, a bit ahead of flu. And yes, they've had a busy, uh, quite early season for that. Flu has probably just come a couple of weeks early and it's it's become very high, particularly in the east of the country. um, But it's still uh, nationally only about medium uh, from the point of view of prevalence at the moment. Okay, so So we ain't seen nothing yet. Oh no, it's got... We're also getting the same flu as they had in Australia and uh, it comes up from down south and Australia had a terrible flu season. So this has a... It's it's only halfway there yet. Um, on just going back to the politics of the last week and and the kind of carry on and the things that were being said and everything else, is this normal when it when it when we're reaching the end of a cycle when the government is reaching the end of its cycle when there's an election in the office? Uh, or did you I, think I, this was particularly yeah, snippy and I this week? David and Onion have much more experience of that than me, but usually coming up to Christmas when there is no election in the offing and the big elephant in the room of the election in the offing is that, uh, you know, there's a lot of bonhomie, there's goodwill to all men across Leinster House, but that did not happen last week. It kept very personal and very nasty. Uh, obviously, the two uh, main punters aren't best pleased with each other. And uh, I-, I think, you know, possibly the Taoiseach misjudged it by holding up uh, Dara Murphy's attendance as a yardstick. Or, or as a barometer, and then to you know to suggest that Michal Martin somehow didn't measure up to that, and which was perhaps he didn't mean it that way, but certainly came across as that way. And and, yeah, and, well, and I, I, think, I think anyone I, would. I think, in fairness, oh no, there were two of them in it for for. The oh no, but they, they were. But it started. That was the main catalyst that said it, that his voting record was better than Michal Martin's voting record, and which was in turn we should say better than Leo Varadkar's voting record. Well, because presumably yeah, but the that wasn't. The party are, are busy in different ways. There is a very unusual tetchiness to the whole thing, a level of personal rancour and animosity that hasn't been there. I just think think they're sick of each other at this point. I think the confidence and supply, I think it's gone. I think it's worth remembering that Leo Varadkar was never a great fan of the whole confidence and supply uh, arrangement. And in fact, he sort of stood aside from those talks in Trinity College, uh, was it four years ago, five Mm. years ago now? He used to be on his phone, didn't he? 
and it was left to others to, to kind of uh, pull the iron out of the fire. Uh, so he's never been a great fan of this. And I think you're right. I think he is probably sick of uh, of the arrangement. And there's no uh, particular personal relationship between him, himself and, and, and Michal Martin, which adds to the kind of general crabbiness at the end of this cycle. Uh, now, I think it will be a challenge for, for both parties uh, to rein in that kind of narkiness during the campaign, because I don't think the voters like that. I think they, they want a kind of a business-like campaign focusing on the issues. And if there are personal spats, I don't think it'll do anybody any good. But it comes down to what issues you're going to have. Had, had they gone in November, the issues would have been about Brexit and the stewardship of the economy. That was the narrative at that time. If we go into a February, March, it's going to be about health and housing. And that's going to be a different And the teacher was in here saying it again last week that he is very firm on the fact that if Fine Gael inherited these problems from Fianna Fáil and that there has only been the money to deal with them in the last few years and that they are dealing with it. So they have a narrative there. And but I think the great lesson from the British general election is that there was an absolutely laser-like focus on a single issue and the slogan, three, get, three words. get Brexit done, got Boris over the line with a majority of 80. I don't think that will have been lost on people here. I think there'll have to be a very, very focused message and uh, it'll be a challenge for the government to narrow down that message given the plethora of issues. Keep the recovery going, maybe? Uh, I don't Please think don't so. Let's reduce it to, one, to three words. I would be so disappointed to see Irish politics going that way. Do you think that's really going to happen, that we're going to have three-word slogans? Politics has always been the art <laughs> of the soundbite. Oh. Yes, absolutely. Yes, uh, uh, you you think this is nothing new? No. We're all <laughs> shot hard about it now. <laughs> Must keep the recovery going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That did not work because they found out halfway down through the country, well, actually, that kind of stopped around Dublin. Maybe I'll tell, tell you now, um, the, the first day of that campaign, I texted uh, the campaign director in Fine Gael and said, this slogan uh, is is going down like, I won't say what. Yeah. Uh, I said, it's not going to resonate and, you know, you're already getting feedback about it. And I was derided on the very first day of the campaign. It was a turkey, the whole uh, the, the whole slogan. And the campaign well, you know what the important better. bit is? The important bit is that you were right, DDP. <laughs> <laughs> and and let, the, let the record show. <laughs> the, important, oh, yeah. the, the important bit is flexibility to be able to change. Yeah, yeah, and yeah I, fair I, point. I, I, I hope that we won't see some of the playbook that was used in, in the UK elections repeated here, where we had a sitting Prime Minister ultimately refuse to do major sit-down interviews with, with the media, continue to churn out these sound bites, which were simplistic, concise, people easy to understand. Um, but if that playbook were to be repeated here, we would be then seeing misinformation, disinformation being democratised in order to sow confusion and fear. And so while, yes, soundbites, unfortunately, we will see that, but I hope we will see a rigorous exercise with media scrutinising our politicians in the, in the I, new I imagine, year. I imagine an awful lot of the guys writing the manifestos have been told to cut it all back, <laughs> yeah, yeah, reduce, yeah. reduce yeah. the amount of detail. What, what, do you think really be, what do you think this election will be about, Ian? Well, as I said, I think it'll be health housing, the insurance thing is coming in. But I also, I also get a sense, and just, you know, I think people are tired. I mean, this has been too long term. So it's been an awful lot of change in the country uh, from Enda Kenny's term into Leo Varadkar's term. I just get a sense of tiredness with politics, but with this, go- but with this government and also with the opposition. So I'm really interested to see how it's going to play out. Now, you mentioned insurance and there's a lot today about insurance in the paper. Uh, and the, the business post going very strong and a business to government insurance crisis is now our main election was their front page story. Um, Anya, you were looking at that? 
Yeah, and I'm curious to see how the language has even changed in the reporting of this all week, which started obviously with the crashes. And as we've seen as the weekend has played out, we're now talking about the hospitality sector, restaurants, cafes, motors. Earlier in the week, it felt like an impending insurance crisis. This morning, now we're reading headlines like this is the election issue. But I can't help but think about three years ago, we had the IMF basically saying the costs here, they're three th- times the European average. There's something amiss when it comes to our insurance uh, industry. And the as IMF, a whole. we were supposed to um, clear up the legal system as well, weren't we? And that's one of the things that never happened. Yeah, wasn't it? and in, in the intervening years, it feels like we haven't been able to get to grips with making this a much more transparent industry with the necessary regulation in order to ensure fair prices and it's just extraordinary I'm glad to see the government make an intervention this week you now have to question the domino effect and are they on weak ground when it comes to helping other industries but when you see everything from reports this weekend of gyms that have been trying to kind of help with our epidemic around obesity and they can't get insurance to have 80 teenagers in a room together to do training and fitness when you see a huge hotel group yesterday come out and talk about the 65 claims it has pending against it. This is the nightmare before Christmas. I think that's aptly written in the Sunday Business Post today by Peter Maguire, where he's basically doing an incredible effort of journalism, where he's debunking, he's taken a lot of stats and figures from the Central Bank's National Claims Information Database that was published last week. And he's breaking it down and he's basically saying, after years of assertions in the motor industry around the motor premiums, that they increased as a direct result of rising claiming costs. That theory has now definitively been debunked and what he's able to show today that true though the cost of motor premiums per policy rose 42% between let's say 2009 and 2018 that was despite a 2% fall in the cost of claims and so what we're seeing actually as you break down the figures it doesn't add up there aren't fair insurance prices in the industry and we desperately need to get to grips with it or we're going to see our crashes our community volunteer sports industries our cafes our restaurants our small businesses that we need for this country to thrive under extraordinary pressure next year Does anyone here have kids in a crash? I have a 20-month-old toddler. Uh, Since I'm four months pregnant, I've been trying to get a crash within a long mile radius and have so far failed and we're very thankful and you, happy. Hang on, you, you, have no, you can't get a crash. So and I have like a monthly date in my diary where I send the emails again and I put in phone calls and I now know that next summer there's hopefully a crash space and it's it's going to be a considerable drive through horrible traffic to utilise this crash um, but we had to go to our plan B of a childminder and we're extraordinarily grateful to have a childminder um, but a crash would have been our plan A uh, option and it feels like the perfect storm for crashes at the moment in terms of the demand for spaces. My own anecdotal theory is that crashes are better compensated with kids two, three and older because of the, how the subsidies work and the adult to uh, toddler ratio. It is just not economically viable for them to take toddlers under two. Therefore, there's this huge demand on spaces at a time of a baby boom in places like Dublin. Two, we now know there's insurance costs and they're incredibly expensive for uh, these crashes and they're under scrutiny, rightfully, when it comes to inspections. But it feels like yeah, this week no, was the, just that. Crash owners will argue they're under way too much scrutiny, and that and that the, these a lot of these reports are picking them up on things that really are are not material. I mean, I, I think the figures for the amount of crashes that do not have um, full approval or whatever it's called would shock you. But then a lot of these crashes are presumably okay, you know.
Yeah, and like there, there's another piece which we'll maybe come to later on today by, by Justine McCarthy, where she's just looking at children in Ireland at this moment in time. And like for, for parents who want to contribute to the workforce and the local economy, that they constantly hit up every year against the crash in childcare regime in this country. That is just not kept a pace with a lot of our European colleagues in terms of the gold standards and best standards that we can actually, in good faith and in full conscience, leave our beloved children in a childminder at a fair cost, knowing that they are getting fairly paid and they're being fairly insured. Um, it's yeah, just which, the perfect which I think and, and, and the low pay in that industry seems yes. is a major problem. And, and the other thing I think is that Ailish Johanna makes the point today is that we do live in a society where it is kind of almost expected of people that there will be two people working now uh, in, in the home in order to get a house and all that kind of thing. Ian Keogh? Yeah, I mean, the insurance thing is is really striking. And if you, if you look at some of the narratives that have been coming up about it, on one hand, the lawyers point to the insurance companies and say, you're profit gougers. Uh, the, the, the industry looks back and goes, you guys are actually just greedy. And in truth, if you look through the data that the central bank published last week, they're both right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. You know, and there, there was an awful lot made around this idea that actually claims have gone down while premiums are going up. If you actually dig a little deeper into it, if you actually go beyond some of the headline numbers, you'll actually see that injuries, uh, the claims on injuries have actually risen by 23%. So where we're seeing an awful lot of the declines are just you break your window uh, or or that sort of stuff. But if you actually look into the the actual injuries claims there, they are going up. And it strikes me that the entire market failure and a public policy failure around all of it. Mm -hmm. The legal system isn't fit for purpose in dealing with this. It's too complex. If you go down the courts with a legal injury, it's taken four and a half years and the average legal cost is like 23 to 25,000 euro. And and according to the central bank figures, you're not coming out with much more than you would if you went to the personal injuries assessment board. No, you'd be as well going to the personal injuries assessment board. Just higher legal fees. Just higher legal fees. In fact, probably the best thing to do is to settle really quickly, direct, avoid the legal cost and get it done. Emily, Emily, the the doctors have been implicated here as well in terms of... uh, you know, we had that that uh, investigation in the Independent a week or two ago, where doctors seemed to be in cahoots with with legal yeah, firms. Yeah, I remember and, that. Uh, yeah. So, so I, I think that there's there's three bits um, in 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 this in insurance, um, I suppose, coverage. One is is our our individuals, our patients, our members of the public. Is there this thing? Oh, it, it's an easy source of money for me, and I'm going to pursue that. Second is the way uh, the legal. Um, um, the legal fees and, and the awards judges are, are giving are, are higher than in other jurisdictions. And, and there is work going on on the, on the book of quantum at the moment, which, which will hopefully improve things. And then th- this third thing, which I actually didn't know about until this week, what was the huge profit being made by the, um, by the insurance industry? So, so there's three bits to it. And then, as you say, are, are there doctors that are involved in in perhaps um, colluding with with patients to uh, maybe uh, over-dramatise their injuries. Um, I'm sure there are. Not all doctors are saints, but I would say it's it's very few. It are is you a seeing people coming though. into an emergency rooms who are clearly there for uh, to bolster a claim? I think so. So I, I do a, sm- a tiny amount of medical legal work uh, purely for patients who come into the emergency department while I'm the consultant in on, on call or, or in charge of the department. And it's small. So you would be that you would be then. Uh, an expert witness, possibly in that situation, yes. and you were paid for that by yes, the lawyers. Yes, so, and yeah. then and, and that would be not all consultants do it, but patients who come into a public ED who then go what decide to take a civil claim 
uh, we we do reports for them or we can do I, reports for them. I gather it's them. a very lucrative expert yeah, witness work, is it? Be, there would be, you would be paid, and I suppose it's subject to the competition authority, I'm pr- presumably not allowed to say, but for a, a medical report, uh, for seeing the patient, making prognosis, etc., there would be a couple of hundred euro involved, yes. Okay, and um, how long would it take you? Oh, a couple of hours, perhaps, yeah. Okay. Depends on the... Depends on the case, I suppose, like anything. Some are very quick and some are very complex. So, so that's been upfront about it. Yeah. Um, I think there are more, I suppose I'm lucky in a way as an emergency consultant, I don't have a, a, a long-term relationship with a patient. I think it's more challenging for some of our colleagues, let's say in the GP community, who have a like a lifelong relationship with a patient and are providing a, a medical legal well, well, report. Why is it challenging that they feel they have to play along? Well, I don't know. But perhaps if if it, it you could be influenced by your long term relationship with the patient, because and not you don't, what you're saying is, because, is, are you saying because you don't want them to go off to another doctor, you don't want to no, lose a long term patient? No, it's not that. No, but having a therapeutic, being able to help someone with their health involves them trusting you, and it is diff- if you jeopardise. So it's not all about them going off okay. somewhere else. Okay. If you jeopardise that therapeutic relationship, and it's not just about medical legal claims. It's it's all about um, prescribing medication. Okay. Lots of issues. If okay. you jeopardise that, then you jeopardise your ability gotcha. to look after gotcha. them in the future. Owen, uh, well, well uh, this insurance thing is very very serious and jobs at stakes uh, and uh, you know high cost for people to try and stay in business. I, I, uh, there's an article in the Sunday Business Post by Aaron Rogan that brought a smile to my face. It said insurance costs doubled for some. Silly Solicitors firms, talks that solicitor firms uh, are be are getting insurance premium increases of a hundred percent. The law society been been told now. Ken Murphy of the law society said there is no evidence of this, but goes on in the article to have a good kick at the uh, insurance companies. Talk about them being, being profitable, but that counter just I suppose with the business post uh, or the Sunday Times editorial, which talks about that thing that going to court doesn't get you anything more usually than greater legal fees. So their fees are also going up. I mean, this this controversy about the level of insurance has been going on for decades. And I mean, uh, to coin a phrase, it seems to me that there are more red herrings involved in the whole thing than you find in a Chinese trawler. The... um, there's legal representation, there's the size of awards, the behaviour of judges, there's fraud, there's gouging by the companies. But the one thing that strikes me is that just as in their negotiations with the beef industry, the government has come up against a very, very powerful international lobby in terms of insurance companies. Uh, who um, uh, The government has really very little leverage, just as they have very little leverage over the beef producers. And it, 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 uh, I, you know, Michael Darcy is doing his best, although I think he misspoke when in the in the business post he seemed to blame the crash, uh, the crash sector for not coming to him, uh, and warning him about their problems. And, and but Leo I also said in the doll the other day when he was asked about this initially. He said, well, maybe there's a reason for these premiums going up and we, we're not going to get involved. And yeah. then, of course, within hours that had switched well, I, and they were in getting I th- involved. I think that recognises the reality that the government has very, very little sway with the insurance companies. Uh, they're multinationals, they're powerful, uh, they're not obliged okay. to listen to what the government is, says. Is, is that the case, Ian Kill, do you think, from a business perspective? Well, I, I think what they're saying is they're getting out of unprofitable lines. They're taking very clear, conscious decisions to get out of unprofitable lines. And public liability in employers' insurance 
it's very tough to manage that. It's, you need the speciality and Ireland's a small market so they're trying to get out of that. And we've also seen a consolidation of insurance companies. An awful lot of people have looked at Ireland and said, we don't want to play here. So they've moved elsewhere. So the market's got smaller. There was a very interesting proposition in the Sunday Times, actually, where they said, in relation to public liability and employers' insurance, why not extend what they do for motor insurance and have the declined cases agreement? So if you don't get, if you can't get insurance from three different players, the market has to come together and offer you some sort of a deal. And it mightn't be the worst idea. Okay, and and you know what? I, I think uh, David Davenport, probably a bit unfair to say Michael Darcy was blaming the crash sector. I mean, I think his point was that if there were problems and if there were underwriters exiting the market, he needed to know early rather than late. Now, look, um, we're not going to get hugely into the FAI because not a lot has, has moved on there, but... Um, there is a good piece in the Sunday Times today uh, on page 21, Mark Ty and Paul Rowan talking about a doomsday scenario for the FAI. Where do you reckon this is at, Owen? Well, where, very difficult. where do you see it going? It's very difficult to, to, to see where it is going to end up. I thought it was interesting. Uh, Mark uh, Ty is the oracle, I suppose, when it comes to the FAI now. And uh, he's talking in this article about during the week there was this meeting that was held between the, the, the now executive of the FAI and the minister. Now, apparently that took an awful lot of lobbying to get the minister to agree to this meeting. And, you know, talks in the article about the involvement of Donald Conway, who is the president of the FAI. He was re-elected during the year against, I suppose, the wishes of the minister. Uh, he didn't go to that meeting, but it seems... He was sitting in a nearby hotel, It seems, he? it yeah. seems, uh, giving, briefed, give, giving riding instructions, as yeah. it were, yeah. to the candidates that went to the meeting. And that was, I thought, was a bit of an insult to the minister, and they went cap in hand to the well, minister. Well, I guess he is in the position he's well, in course, still. Of course I mean, he is. Know, he, 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 he was he polite is. enough not to turn up to that meeting. Yeah, yeah but yeah. Uh, ne- nevertheless, uh, the problem is that... Um, the minister and the officials, they don't want to engage with the current crop that's there, as it were. And they're waiting on these four officials. But, that, yeah, but these that, are not the current crop, this, this are not, they? It's not the current crop. Oh, no, I accept yeah. that. But they're waiting. The minister is waiting now on the four directors well, that have been appointed. And the, the FAI, for their part, say those four directors won't come on board they until there's some clarity, they get some clarity about, about on where the it's going. Only so there's a you're chicken and egg fan, scenario I, I am, and GEA, but yeah, I've been there on the good nights in Lansdowne Road when Shane Long stuck the, the ball in the back of the German net. I've been there on the very bad nights when we were beaten 5-1 by Denmark. And I see sports, whether it's soccer, um, hurling, GEA and up all varieties are critical uh, in order to give you that sense of community, the sense of belonging, your sense of identity, particularly for children. And soccer in particular, I think in a lot of areas of disadvantage in this country is absolutely critical. And I agree with Matt Cooper, page 28 of the Sunday Business Post today, who basically says the FAI is simply uh, too big to fail. And he talks about, you know, it's going to take months to figure this out and the government will probably have to come to to the rescue in some shape or form and he kind of goes through some scenarios whether we could use some of the 2% from the betting levy whether some of the funds maybe could be diverted from the greyhound industry or the horse racing industry but I think there was a a very important intervention during the week from Sarah Keane and it was great to see a fresh female uh, intervention in what has unfortunately been an often very male led debate Yes, a lot of blazers a lot of blazers 
lasers yeah. hop around those uh, boardrooms and director tables. And she is of the Olympic Federation of Ireland. And she talked in very practical terms, based on her own experience of working with Olympics Ireland, of creating a crisis management committee where you can have an honest broker between the FAI, UEFA and the government to try and piece through this. And her point was, even if these directors were appointed, they're going to have other full-time jobs. Can you bring a small pool of people in who are day-to-day trying to piece through solution scenarios in a very practical, independent, fair way? And I just thought that is a pragmatic suggestion I saw. And who are possibly not people who come from, not football people or not people who come from the football yeah, family. Expertise yeah. from other industries, other areas who could actually bring okay. some pragmatic solutions. It's a damaged brand now. The big question is, can the brand as it, as it exists survive or does it have if to you, be if you, rebranded? If you were advising them on their, on their PR, what would I you say? I think they're going to have to get a fresh, a fresh name, a fresh look you know, as Anya is indicating yeah, there. Okay. They have to find a way of getting these directors in somehow because the government is kind of saying, we want them. They're saying we want to see the money. So we're yeah. a bit of a stalemate here now. And But there is enormous potential goodwill to be unlocked by a new by a new brand out there because this is, it, there, you know, but soccer Matt is Cooper's a national right. movement in this country. Yes, you can't, yeah. it can't okay. be let drop. The, min- the, min- the okay, minister we'd... appears to be a bit of a problem here in the sense that he has set his face against dealing with the uh, FAI and we started by speaking about uh, the impending election. I wonder, will the resolution of this require uh, a new minister? Well, I think I, th- I think a lot of people think Shane Ross has been doing a reasonably good job in dealing I, with all I, this I and, and calling it out. His interventions this week was very unhelpful. If you're, mm. the, if you're the FAI and you've got all these stakeholders, you're trying to deal with UEFA. Also, you're trying to deal with your banks. You're trying to refinance yep. a hev- heavy load. And, you know, when he... When OK, but you know what? It's public money and he represents us in, in, in this and, and, uh, and you know, yeah, he's, do, he's doing what he thinks you do. Anyway, look, we will take a break. Podcast The Marion Finucane Show at rte.ie slash radio. Welcome back. Our panel is still here. And Marion McKeown is having such a good time that she's decided to stay as, as well. Now, there's a couple of things that we missed out on in the papers that I did want to get to. So, uh, Owen O'Nochton, you wanted to talk about uh, uh, Iron Jumpers. Well, it's my, my favourite subject this yeah. morning. Uh, I suppose it's kind of a Christmas type of story, maybe an American type of story as well. Marianne. It's a... Uh, there's an article in the Business Post that iron jumpers, the sale of iron jumpers, have rocketed, uh, particularly with Barney Woolen Mills, on the foot of a film, a recent American film, Knives Out, which is some sort of a, a crime film. And the apparently the main actor in it, Chris Evans, was wearing an iron jumper. So the net effect of this is that the sales of iron jumpers have gone up, and the twenty knitter, the twenty eight knitters of or of of iron sweaters in Donegal are going to be busy over this Christmas as a result. The West will be awake, yeah. So iron jumpers are back. Have you any, uh, have you got nitty fingers? Oh, no, my mother, my mother, who I'll have to give a shout out to. She's in hospital in Galway and be hopefully home tomorrow, but she's a great knitter and has made my two sons very fashionable with uh, (laughs) knitting iron jumpers. Yeah, I have to say, it's a kind of a hobby horse of mine, but if Italians had something like iron jumpers, mm. right? They would have built a story, a myth around it. They'd be selling them for a, a, a thousand quid and it would be a luxury brand, you know? And in fairness, there's Inishman, that Irish company yeah. uh, based on Inishman. Yeah. They do sell into places like Barney's and they're on sale on uh, online on Mr. Porter luxury website and they're selling them as they should be. Handmade, luxury, heritage, texture of time, all that kind and, of stuff. And quali- that the, a quality that product and employing so well. a lot of people a, a, in a the luxury, area. A luxury product, yeah. more yeah. importantly, so you can jack up the price by a factor of four. Now, uh, David Davenport, you wanted to talk about 
There's a very interesting interview in the Business Post with Mary Lou MacDonald today. Yes, Michael Brennan sat down and spoke with the uh, uh, the Sinn Féin leader. And um, uh, her comments about the, the impending election, which we keep coming back to, I think they're very interesting in that she uh, certainly is pitching it low for Sinn Féin. She's saying they're in with the shout in, for a second seat in Donegal. Uh, be a big challenge to keep the two seats in Louds where Jerry Adams is retiring. And um, he, he, she more or less says it's going to be difficult in Kerry where Martin Ferris is retiring as well. So I, I think that it's a new tone from, Finnegan, from Sinn Féin that uh, they're, um, they, they, they are... If you if you will recognizing the the new reality after their setback in the elections and uh, uh, she she talks about something I hadn't realized that there are fifty four yes. members of on the uh, on the Corner of Sinn Fein that meets every six weeks fifty four members and uh, she's asked uh, you know um, how long do the meetings go on and she says oh for God's sake she says how long is a piece of string yeah. so I mean it <laughs> suggests a certain impatience with the structure but you can there. imagine by the time everyone gets their spade there we've all been in meetings with half a dozen people and, and you, you've work to do and you don't get out of there but all day it, it, it's also reflecting and, and she's answerable to the 54 people but I think it's also a, ref- a reflection of the structure in Sinn Féin that uh, perhaps the leader isn't as autonomous and as all-powerful as one might imagine. Now, Jerry Adams was a past master at working the hard corley. Uh, look, I think in, in every um, in every party, the, the leader is answerable to the people around him, isn't he? So it's nothing unusual there. But and, I would, and, I would, know, I would, I would. Mary Lou, she is coming off the back of a huge success um, in North Belfast, where John Finucane took that seat. Oh, you know? So I, it's not that's, all... That's, that's the new reality no, is no, no, not no, all no, bad. No, no. And they, well, and they, they lost they, 6% they of their vote. What's good about well. that? Yeah, but you know, it's a, it's a mixed bag. Let's not write her off yet. I think it was a, a certain level of expectation management. I think given yes, given, yes. given given what had happened in, in the by-elections, given what had also happened in the most recent local elections yeah. where they had a bad, bad day out, uh, I think she would have been holding herself to fortune by coming out and saying we're going to increase our seats we're going to do this we're going to get that so I think it's expectation management but I have yeah, to she could idea. have done a Lib Dems and said I am I am going to be the next teacher yeah. no I, I, I think I think it was a bit more a bit more nuanced and that's actually a very really interesting interview she yeah. actually opened up much more in that interview than I've seen her in other interviews probably buoyed by some of the more catching successes in the in the recent Westminster elections mm. uh, I think it'd be really interesting where Sinn Féin sit in the matrix of the next government. If the numbers aren't adding up, will they be part of a confidence and supply style arrangement? At some point, you know, they're going to have to get involved That's one right, way or the other. Yeah, she, yeah. She and, 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 and like, yeah. you have things like in the Sunday Times poll today, they're up three points. And, uh, you know, if all, if there is that momentum around them, they can't keep avoiding going into government, can you know, they? And, or, and maybe the confidence and supply might be a stepping stone into it. Yeah, uh, so, she, she so can do see- we think that that if 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 Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael both, uh, I'm right in saying, say at the moment they would not go into coalition with Sinn Féin. On the record but, of that, yeah. but, yeah. but yeah. Uh, a confidence in supply on Octon, could you see that as a kind oh, well, of a backdoor uh, way of getting their support? I would say you say that now. Yes. What's going to happen when the numbers fall and you start counting the numbers? It's a different world at that particular point. And people want to get into power. They want to get the reins of power and they'll see who they can actually do deals with at the end of the day. So I think it all changes. Yeah, and they the will say, this is how the people voted. This yeah. is the government they voted and, uh, for. She's conceding yeah. that she's saying, well, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, they're not ideal partners for Sinn Féin. But... Yeah. Yeah. It, it'll be interesting oh, yeah. to see, does she make a unity referendum, a red line issue in any potential uh, talks around forming a government 
moment. Not a chance. <laughs> Interesting, because you see Michal she Martin... Does, she does stress, sorry, she does stress in the piece today that the fundamental mission of the party yeah. remains a united it's, Ireland. That's what they're yeah, about. And it's just enough, she doesn't mention a border poll, though. Yeah, because you, you see uh, Michal Martin is in the Sunday Times, Sunday Independent today saying, you know, there will there will not be a poll if I am Taoiseach. And that's obviously, I, I'm sure Fianna Fáil and others are looking at events in Northern Ireland over the last two weeks where we seem to be seeing the emergence of a middle ground. Uh, Sinn Féin obviously has has led the, the, the calls there around this unity referendum. But clearly what uh, Michal Martin, I think to some degree, Leo Vragger is saying is that now is not the time. We have mm. the rock, the institute of the Good Friday Agreement and that this talk from Sinn Féin isn't helpful at the moment because of these mm. tribal temperatures and you're going to actually drive people more back into their traditional camps and it could be argued I saw Stephen Collins on Friday in the Irish Times saying Sinn Féin was actually the biggest loser in the election that when you actually look at the numbers the data the polling does not show that the people of Northern Ireland are asking Sinn Féin uh, for this but poll. But the big success of the election was the SDLP uh, and the and, very, and very, very, very yeah. stellar performance look, of look, the... That's, I think we've covered that all very well and we covered it here last week as well. There is, if you don't mind, there is one more thing I wanted to get in. And look, it's the Sunday Business Post again, but I think we've given all the papers a fair shake today and we, I do try and be fair about that. Emily, you wanted to talk about, there's a piece by Tony O'Brien in the Sunday Business Post and he's having a fair old go off the Minister for Health it has to be said yeah, so I, I was expected to see lots of health stuff in the papers today. Um, there's been a lot going on, but there's really only one big piece in, in all the papers by Tony O'Brien. I, I think he's a good health writer. Um, so, yeah. Uh, he, <laughs> he's great now at writing about it. Yeah, yeah. people would argue that, you know. Um, uh, I'm, I'm going to say one thing. I'm, I'm always accused of moaning all the time. So first and foremost, there's been lots of good stuff in health um, ha, has gone on that was reflected in, and there was media coverage of the good... Uh, Improvement in uh, mortality rates for stroke and heart attack and cancer okay. in the country. Let's so cut good. to the chase, though. And, with and I'm going to say one more okay, good thing. Go on. We're going to be working solidly over Christmas, New Year. Health has not taken a break over Christmas, and we're not going to be going into the New Year refreshed. So absolutely. let's just take tribute to all it, of those working all over Christmas, absolutely. including myself. And I hope they've so all had their flu jabs this year. I think more of them have. Um, okay, now, so t- Tony so O'Brien uses the words relentless onslaught, unmet need, and stress and frustration, which are usually terms um, that are used for staff uh, working out there in the front line but no, these are terms for um, Minister Harris and, and the pressures he's under. So all of us in, 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 in healthcare are under those type of pressures. What do you think of, okay, what do you think of, of the plan to offer um, consultants 260... 260,000 a year to work solely for the public. Figures, I'm not going to go, but 250 is what the politicians are saying. I I think what's come out through the HR organisations is I think 180 to 220 starting, uh, going up somewhere. I I think that's a fantastic salary. I'm really, really hopeful um, that that is going to be enough to keep our younger colleagues in posts and bring them home from international jobs. I have no industrial relations. There's a lot of consultants out speaking, there. Okay. Um, on, There's on a lot of consultants out there making more than a quarter of a million a year of in course private there are. practice, isn't of there? Of course There's there are. guys making half, so, half uh, uh, 
And it, it, it depends on year, it, it yeah. depends on your specialty. Yeah. He says that it, it, what it is a, a generous salary. It could still lead to a brain drain from uh, from uh, public medicine. Would you so, would you regard so the, that as a danger, so Emily? The, the big salaries are being earned by consultants who have interventional specialties. It, it is much easier to charge to cost and case mix and charge procedures. Okay. So consultants who do interventional work, uh, for instance, cardiology, orthopedic surgeons, eye surgery, etc. So if you're in pediatrics or geriatrics or emergency medicine etc so so there is a variation there and you would be concerned that we're going to be uh, supporting all these procedural based private specialties at at the expense of the the part of the health sector that doesn't make people money which is the frailty the undifferentiated uh, the uninsured etc can I just say he he does make some good points and he caught Tony O'Brien morale shredding of the comments uh, the minister made up, 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 about Limerick. Um, you know, you're looking at, a, I, I don't know where, why on earth he thought it was the right idea to make the comments he did about uh, consultants in, in Limerick. Well, um, look, we can, th- only assume that we can only assume that he, somebody must have told him that this was going on. I'm sure and, he didn't make those no, comments but no, off but the top you know of his head. If there are consultants who are not performing about their, to, their, their contracts, just go after them. Uh, and get it sorted, but stop. We're sick to Would death of them using it to um, to paint the rest of us. Would you agree, Emily? Because everyone, everyone who's not a consultant who works in a hospital that you meet will tell you that there are some consultants who are taking the Mickey. Would you I agree? I mean, there, there are, are several thousand consultants in the country. Of yeah. course, there are. But stop painting us with with the same brush. It's morale shredding, okay. and um, okay. and and you know we're not going to get anywhere. We're going just to say there was also comments last Christmas by the Taoiseach uh, uh, that. Ruin morale about people not working over the Christmas and taking their annual leave. Fair enough. Uh, they've done mm. it again this year. I don't know why they think it's it's a useful thing to do, uh, but stop painting us all with the same brush, please. Well, I guess it, they they would hope that it would get some of the hassle off of their back and put it somewhere else. Okay, let's take a break. Podcast the Marion Finucane Show at rte.ie/radio.